Hello, this is Tamsin again. Gosh, I'm so sorry. So it is currently Wednesday night, the night that I just released a little announcement saying that there would not be a new episode tomorrow because we had have both had COVID um, since we recorded last. And then our lovely, lovely listener, Elle, contacted us and said, hey girls, do you know that you actually accidentally uploaded season two, episode two twice and not season two, episode three. So here it is. Technically, I guess I lied by putting up a little thing saying there wouldn't be a new episode today because now I've got a new episode for you. I've got an episode where we recorded back before either of us knew we were about to come down with the dreaded COVID-19 Omicron. Omicron? Omicron. I'm tired. (laughs) I'm doing this at night, trying to get this all sorted for you for Thursday morning because ta-da, this is a new old episode that should have really been in your ears last week, but I'm sorry. I'm such a dummy. And either way, here it is. I hope you enjoy. Keep sending us things on Instagram. It is so nice to hear from you. And Ayla's still sick, so give her a little cheer. Cheering up. Have a great night. Have a great morning. Have a great day. Here's season two, episode three. So you blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up. Good morning. I'm so happy to be back recording in the morning. In the morning, in the new year. Back in quarantine. Time is a construct. Yeah, pseudo lockdown. (laughs) Pseudo lockdown. What is happening? But hi, welcome to Scalpels and Tequila, your escape from the COVID. That's a a lie. We talk about it all the time. Hello, welcome to Scalpels and Tequila. I am your slutty mistress. This is Tamsin. And I prefer to be called the ruler of all that is evil, but you can call me Ayla. Hi. And welcome to season two, episode three, Make Me Lose Control. Now, I know that we've mentioned in the last couple of episodes that season one we found out was originally supposed to be 12. So this would be our season finale, which... Honestly, with how complicated Grey's... Makes so much sense. Oh, it's such a... This one's a doozy, and I loved every minute of it. I love this episode. It was so hard to make notes for because I was just too involved. I had to watch it about three times to make my notes, and every time I was bawling, (laughs) getting so emotional. Oh, the part that kills me is the fact that there are so many good lines. My notes are pretty terrible, but they are just... Yeah, full of banging script writing. Hit after hit, unlike that intro song, which I just make me lose control. No, thank you. You should see this man's hair. I will post it up on Instagram for y'all. It was, (laughs) oh, I think doozy is my word of the episode. I was going to say it again. Well, a little bit about this episode. I'm hoping you've all seen it by now, but uh, everything is spiraling out of control this week. Weber is losing his grasp as an authority figure and a fashion icon. <laughs> Meredith and Christina struggle to control their well-hid secrets and the repercussions. George has no chance of controlling his patient and again seeks Alex's help. Another patient has spent her life unable to control or hide her emotions. 
much like our own Izzy. Derek seems to be the only one with a hold on anything this episode, and unfortunately he still controls some heartstrings, which you know we have thoughts about. Yeah, especially because he is not a heart surgeon. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. You glitched out the second I realized it was a joke. I was like, oh, she did a funny. Sure, Ayla. Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) So this episode is just a giant metaphor. Apart from Meredith's mum, like these two other patients are really just there to allow our characters to talk about their feelings and kind of explain what's going on in their lives. Like they are just kind of conduits for our characters' stories, Um, which is great. I enjoy that. I love it when the writers can get a bit creative with things like that and everything means everything. Do you know know what I mean? Well, I I really like that as well because you don't see it as much in the newer seasons. So true. Yeah, you don't at all. You just – the patients are just there because they have to keep it – no, it's just like, oh, wait, fuck, we forgot. This is a medical drama. We should probably like – throw some medicine in there yeah whereas these episodes they're written so well everything kind of entwines together and everything has double meanings meredith's monologue this week is all about being in control she says like surgeons are control freaks with a scalpel in your hand you feel unstoppable it's like you're 10 feet tall and then you leave the or and all that perfection all of that beautiful control falls to crack she talks about how scary it is how it's like free falling And when the world stops spinning, that your shiny little scalpel isn't going to save you. And that is exactly how this episode feels. Everything is unraveling. Mm -hmm. It just seems to be everyone's absolute worst day. This this episode's theme was so obvious, even I got it. Did y'all hear that synopsis? I was all over this shit. (laughs) Ayla, I'm very proud of you. It's very obvious. <gasps> this episode opens up with our best friends going for a jog. We love it when it opens up with just friendship. It's my favorite way to start to start an app. They hate running, like me. Oh, yeah, but I'm watching this and I'm watching them both struggle through a jog. And I'm like, yeah, I am absolutely down. You want to go for a trundle, a walk with a coffee, maybe a, a grown-up sippy cup? Totally here for it. You want to go for a jog? Go fuck yourself. It's so great because I guess the last episode we opened on them being super hungover and then this episode they're trying Mm -hmm. to go for a jog to make themselves feel, but it just feels very real. You know, like when you're really hungover and you're like, I'm never going to drink alcohol again and you're like, tomorrow I'm going to start a health kick. It's like, that's what they're doing. It feels very real. And then you wake up on the third day and all of your body hurts and you're like, fuck me, I need a drink. Yeah, it's a cycle. But they hate themselves because... As they're running, they're both just screaming at each other. Meredith gets called a slutty mistress by Christina, to which she responds with, pregnant whore. You're like, they are best friends. Yay. They are best friends. It's so cute. I even love the writing when Meredith says, I used to love fairy boats. And Christina says, I used to love aortic aneurysm. (laughs) Their friendship is so beautifully written. Realistic Mm. for a lot of it. I totally want to segue and talk about the new Sex in the City because I'm I'm into it. I'm so into it. Yeah, I am so into it. I just it makes me so ha- like so I understand the criticism, but I also just don't care because I love it. I love watching our old friends hanging out. I fucking it's- love watching Sarah Ramirez. They are just so hot and it's so good. 
it doesn't feel like new episodes, if you know what I mean. It doesn't feel like a completely new show. It feels like we are getting to catch up with our old friends and it's it's still pretty much exactly the same, but they're trying to tackle new issues and yeah. I'm I'm so into it. I hate that it's a mini series. I hate that they're only doing the one. But it's it's watching friends to talk to each other like they're friends and it's the same as what we're seeing now. I really hope they keep going. It is a bit on the nose with issues, which I guess is the main criticism, is that they're trying to throw so much, like, you know, this idea of, like, woke storylines into it that it is feels, like, very heavy-handed. But I actually don't care because the way that these women are dealing with it feels so real. This is exactly how boomers kind of respond to these ideas. I just can imagine – I can imagine this being so real and I'm loving it. But that's enough about that. Basically, go watch it. It's good. If you're a fan of Grey's Anatomy, we know you loved Sex in the City. So, like, it's they, – they were TV shows that were out at the same time and they had the same target audience and they had a lot of the similar themes. So, go give it a watch. It might be better than season 18 of Grey's Anatomy. I'm having lots of emotions. I'm really enjoying all the new characters. Oh, it's like two shows merging in a way. I mean, it's not, but – just having Sarah Ramirez there is very exciting. I'm kind of liking pretending that it's actually Callie, like Callie moved to New York and goes by Che now. <laughs> anyway, 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 back to Grey's Anatomy. So we get to the hospital. And our first glimpse of the hospital is Derek in an elevator. So you assume something sexy is going to happen and I'm too sexy for my hat. <laughs> Walks in and joins him. I know, and it's immediately commented on. Derek's like, nice hat. Nice hat. And then Chief just tells him to shut up. Like, <laughs> Come on, mate. You wore the hat for a reason. You wore it for attention. And Derek just puts him directly back in his box. He's like, I've not cleared you for surgery. Why are you here? Fuck off. He's so grumpy, Chief. He's so grumpy. He's like, I'm sick of watching Oprah give things away on TV. I love it's Oprah. like, you had brain surgery, you've only been out a yeah, week. Yeah, shouldn't be walking. It's going to take some time. No. I can't believe and he's there. Derek again pulls him up on why is the Satan of Seattle still here? She was calling herself the, like Satan, Satan of Seattle, ruler of all things that are evil, like on her Instagram before she came back to Grace last this season. It's pretty funny. In, in episode one of the season, we spoke about um, – Switzerland and how that is a a throwback to what happens in almost 10 years time on the show. I'm wondering if it's someone's full-time job to literally just sit there and I don't know, do a control F on all of the scripts of all times to find links back to stuff. So on Ellen's podcast, Tell Me this week, she interviewed Debbie Allen um, which was incredible. This was my favourite of her podcast so far. You're still listening to all of them? No, I pick and choose. Mm. This one was so good. And they actually talked about someone on set that they call the Grey's Apedia. I've forgotten their name now. But um, Ellen was saying whenever they need to know anything about Grey's or what's happened or a character's storyline or anything from any episode, they go to this one person. So potentially. So they have their own Lexi? They have their own Lexi. <gasps> and I wanted them to say, like, this is 
where we got the idea for Lexipedia, but they they didn't. I was really thinking that was going to come, but it didn't happen. It's so but cute. But, yes, they have a Lexi. But, yeah, the Satan of Seattle actually prefers to be called the ruler of all that is evil as she comes onto the backside of the lift as they're having this conversation. And, again, just looking um, stunning. She always looks so stunning. beautiful. Stunning. She could absolutely be the ruler of the underworld. She looks like Lilith. And the way she just walks around the hospital like she owns it. Oh, she's so great. Excuse I me. I love having her here. Addison Montgomery does not walk. The bitch struts. Addison wants Derek to do a consult with her in the NICU, but also tells Weber that she is absolutely leaving today. So he huffs off into his office to retrieve his office keys from Burke, who does not want to give them over. Yeah, Burke is having such a good time. Such a good time being a royal pain in the ass. And Burke, in pure little child fashion, is, I'm glad you're back, but I'm hiding my joy deep, deep down where no one can see it. Oh, you mean where the rest of your emotions live, you psychopath? Yeah, so that's pretty much sums up what this episode is about. People hiding their feelings. Oh, he also tells him that his hat isn't. He says the hat is a little pimped out. Pimped out. That's right. I was like, I knew it was an early thousands word that I hadn't heard in ages. <laughs> Back, Back to, to the, the thousands. thousands. We are firmly yeah. in 2006, people. Firmly there. There's always something that takes us back. Because I was thinking about it and I'm like, it's, it's just a word. Just a word. Because there wasn't really any notable fashions in this episode. Because when we get to our interns, they're already dressed and in the locker room. And there's some flirting. Yeah, totally. I mean, except the fact that Christina's going for a run with a scarf on because this show is obsessed with scarves. So were the early thousands. Were we all just obsessed with Yes. Yeah, right. You remember those ones that they weren't really knitted, but there was like glittery tassels on them and they were really thin, but they were kind of sparkly, like there was metallic thread in them. Everything was sparkly back then, even jeans. (gasps) Oh! Those glitter jeans. I actually saw, I was not allowed in the backseat of my stepdad's car in those jeans. He put down a towel. Yeah, yeah. But I saw on TikTok or Instagram Reels this morning some girl being like, I've figured life out. Glitter spray. Look at how cute my dress is. And it was a response video to someone being shook and doing the same thing and being like, look at how glamorous I am. And I'm like, glitter spray? Is making a comeback. So weird. You know, your parents always tell you that fashion is a cycle. You know, when you're younger and your parents are like, oh, fashion's a cycle, like keep it, it'll come back around. And I never believed it, especially in the early thousands. I was like, as if this is like, you know, this is so original and new, blah, blah. And that's probably what they're all thinking now. And we can finally see how cyclical it is. I just don't understand it because the early thousands for the last 20 years has been the most mocked fashion of all time yeah but it's totally back it even made a very strong appearance on drag race this week like i get it we are talking about way too many tv shows that aren't this one i know and this one has a lot going on so let's get izzy alex they are so cute i love their chemistry so much there's lots of touching and flirting and everyone else is just like the fuck they cannot imagine a world where anyone would be friends with alex and Alex asks Meredith if he can come around and watch her mother's films um, because Izzy told him about them. 
So this is the first time that he's really asking to be indoctrinated into, into the, the friendship, friendship group. Which is cute. Uh, the answer is obviously absolutely not. Ah, Izzy and Alex. So they do their rounds. We learn about a patient that Burke is working on that needs something to do with Oh, he had lung cancer, so he has to get that removed. And then we meet Kelly Roche, who Our blushing is patient. absolutely adorable. She has hyperplexia, which is basically uncontrollable blushing. Um, so again, has no control. And also, she's kind of a metaphor for all of these characters and their emotions, because it kind of becomes this big question about, mm-hmm. like, what would you give up? in order to be able to hide your emotions and keep secretive. What are you willing to sacrifice? Pretty interesting character Mm -hmm. there. And immediately as they walk out of that room, there's a huge commotion going on on the emergency floor as a very, very upset patient comes in. She's inconsolable. She's screaming and yelling at everyone, and Christina has her chart. Complaining of intermittent cramping. Diverticulitis and also Alzheimer's. And we as the audience know this voice, this screaming voice. We see Meredith's face looking completely shocked. And no one really knows who it is except Christina who's holding the chart. And Bailey says, what's the patient's name? What's the patient's name? And Meredith runs away and hides behind a wall just as Christina says, Ellis Gray. And this entrance is incredible. Mm-hmm. Also, Meredith's, or Ellen Pompeo, I should say, complete 180 in going from Meredith the adult to Meredith the vulnerable child. Oh, yeah, that's a great way to explain it's it. instantaneous. Her whole body language completely shifts. Her entire demeanor changes. Her her shoulders come in. Her gaze goes down. They've actually got her with a bit of a childish hairstyle. Well, it's not childish. It was just very popular when we were children. My mother called it the Alice in Wonderland hairdo. <laughs> That's really cute. Yeah, we just get this shot of Meredith's mum on a gurney and her wrists are, like, bound to the bed. It is so shocking And it's so graphic and Meredith's secret about her mother's Alzheimer's and her mother's condition, I mean, it's there's no secret anymore. Like this entrance is so dramatic, there's no hiding anything. It is heartbreaking. Oh yeah, this is this is the most violent way that this could be announced. And Meredith has run to the change rooms and Bailey is being excellent and guarding the door from all of the interns who are just yelling at her in support, but in the worst way possible. So Bailey gets rid of everyone and assigns them their tasks for the day. No one's happy about it. Um, Alex gets given Kelly Roche, our hyperplexia blushing patient to work with uh, Dr. Shepard. Izzy is assigned to Addison and Dr. Shepard consulting on a fresh-born baby in the NICU, and she is quite obviously terrified to work betwixt the two of them today. Yeah, and Izzy kind of gives us our comic relief this episode because this episode is so heavy, and then Izzy's reactions and the little quippy dialogue Izzy gets when she's working with the two shepherds 
just gives us that little bit of relief. Um, Christina is assigned to Burke and she's like, can you please assign me to anyone else? So poor, poor Christina goes off to help out with Dr. Burke's patient, the, the gentleman with the Mr. Gaston, the dry cleaner who has a tumor and needs a thoracotomy. And George, bless his little cotton socks, is told to go look after Gray. So he hugs Bailey. Because he thinks that he's getting to go look after the love of his life, Meredith. He makes me so annoyed. I'm really, I still really don't like George at the moment. He's just so whiny. Um, But no, that's not what she's doing. She's actually sending him to work with Ellis Gray. So sucked in, George. Go and do your work. (laughs) Which is the other humorous part of this episode. So Bailey... This episode is so kind. She, You really get a little glimpse into how much she cares about her interns. She does feel like they're her children in a way, which I guess we see so much of Bailey being so bossy and sassy and confident, but we actually get to see the more tender side of Bailey, which is so nice. So we first see it here. She's still very professional and wants to do her job, but she does offer Meredith time and offers Meredith the day off and just checks in and makes sure Meredith is okay to work. And she's really doing this from a really lovely place. I've just realized that this is a Bailey trope that we see again and again. And we actually saw it in the last episode of season 18. Yeah. Bailey's empathy and her way to do it is, would you like a minute to scream? We're in a room by ourselves. Do you want a minute? And I think this is the first time we see that. And I just realized that. And that's something I love. So your favorite Bailey trope. Yeah, it is really nice. It's like Bailey totally understands the need for alone time and space and also the need for somebody else to give you the permission to just feel your feelings. Because it is hard sometimes, I think, to like self-regulate your own needs like that and give yourself permission. But if someone, especially like someone who has a little bit more power or knowledge or someone you look up to, giving you that permission, I think that's really important. And she also knows the importance of needing to be distracted. So she asks Meredith whether or not she needs to stay or she needs to go. And Meredith wants to stay. She wants to be distracted and just gets made shit kicker of the day. Which I think is completely valid. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. Having your mother in the hospital in this condition, a big secret has just been exposed, something you've been keeping so private, exposed to your whole workplace. I don't think it's smart that she's operating today. Well, it's not only that, but her mother is revered as a surgeon. Yeah, It's her mother and this is happening to her, but it's also the fact that everyone already knows who her mother is. It's Ellis fucking Gray. So Meredith very quickly decides that she doesn't want to do scut. And for the very first time, we see her pull a favor with Derek. So he puts her onto uh, Kelly Roche's case with Alex. So they get to spend the day working together. So then we actually head to the NICU where Izzy is working with the, the two married people that hate each other, in Izzy's words. So Addison is really keen on saving this tiny newborn baby that is ends up just being a metaphor for their relationship, the way they, well, the way she talks about this baby. And the professionalism is just, it's, it's not in the building today. 
We have none of it. The way that Addison had first explained what this baby needed to Derek was not the reality of it. The reality of it was was abandoned by a parent who was a drug addict, so the child's going through pretty severe withdrawals. She was preemie, and he's just like, there's no chance for this. We should make the baby as comfortable as we can, but come on, Addison, there's nothing left here. There's nothing we can do to fix this. I know, and he says, don't get attached. Don't make it worse than it already is. And Addison says she needs someone to fight for her. She's got no one. And Derek says she's too far gone, which I just really think is a metaphor for what they're going through and their marriage because Addison really is trying to fight mm-hmm. fight for it here. She wants his forgiveness. She wants him to come home to Seattle. And then it just it stops being about the baby pretty quickly. And Addison is really just begging for their relationship. And it's just bickering. Yeah, and the bickering starts like this old married couple bickering which must be so weird for Izzy because Izzy has really got to know Derek as Meredith's boyfriend. You know, he's been basically living at her house, eating all of her cereal. This would be so weird. Yeah, this this conversation would, like, throw up some red flags for me. I'd be like, hey, Meredith, you do not need to get back with this guy because you should see the way he treats his ex-wife. She did cheat on him, though. Rough. In the flannel sheets. No, they weren't the flannel (laughs) sheets. They were the Egyptian cotton sheets. You don't like the flannel sheets. You like the sheets with the paisley on them. No, he loves those sheets. He loves the flannel sheets. He loves them. This bickering is so funny. Did you just completely miss the fact that I responded with what Addison said? No, and then I responded with what Derek said. We're doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) (gasps) Who's on first? What's on second? And poor Izzy is just in the back watching like a tennis fan, just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Addison actually tells her to get reassigned to another case because the the child's a a lost cause. Izzy needs to go and find something else to do because this won't be surgical because they're not going to do anything about it. And all she really does is just wanders around the hospital defending and lusting after Alex and having moments in staircases. Totally. I completely forgot how naughty the staircases are. I know, almost more so than the elevator at this point. Because there's just, there's there's so much, I'm trying to figure out if Alex's hold on his mean guy persona is one of the controls that's being lost this episode that we didn't notice. No, definitely. It definitely is because that's, because he does say some really kind stuff later. Izzy spends all of this episode asking Alex why he doesn't let anyone else see that he's not a dickhead. And he never really tells her, but there's this really cute moment when they're walking down the stairs together. And he goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. And plucks an eyelash off her cheek, which is a very big way of saying, I would like to touch you inappropriately. Let me just add, you're getting very close to people's faces. And as he blows the eyelash off his finger, he turns around and fucking screams at a nurse to get the dead guy out of room 304. Why? Why do you have to speak like that to anyone? Izzy just seems so whiplashed by his behavior all the time because she sees both sides of him and she just cannot not figure out why he's doing this and why he keeps why he keeps this mask up as soon as other people walk past. Poor thing, she's so confused. She knows it's a It's not even a mask. It's just poor I think behavior. it's a mask. I think it's intentional. I think he's so afraid of his vulnerable side. He's so afraid of looking weak that he doubles down on looking 
tough and it's just turns to nastiness and meanness. So Derek says no to operating on the preemie baby and he goes and meets Kelly Roche, our blushing patient, with Meredith and Alex. And this poor girl. As someone who's got rosacea, I can kind of relate, but oh my gosh, she has no privacy in this world. No, absolutely not. She cannot hide anything. She cannot hide any of her feelings, unlike all of our characters today. And they're listing off the possible side effects. If she gets this surgery to fix her blushing, there's actually quite a lot that can go wrong. And this is where this kind of moral conundrum comes into play. Comes into and, play. And a downplaying of her emotions as well. Basically, Derek asks her if she knows about the risks and she recites the pamphlet beautifully. So Derek's satisfied and he trundles out. But Alex asks her, do you actually understand what any of those words mean? And we find out that there are some big old risks involved with this surgery. Yeah, one of them is not being able to use your arms. One of them is a collapsed lung. It's this serious side effects. One of them is just constant bodily sweating, which I think I would prefer losing an arm to having constant swamp crotch. And Meredith says something that's pretty... It's diminishing. Uh, yeah, it's really not fair. It's really insensitive. She says, are you sure you want to risk all that over a little bit of blushing? It's like, come on, Meredith, you can clearly see how much this is affecting this poor girl. She basically responds with, I don't have any privacy. None of my feelings are my own. I can't be happy. I can't be mad. I can't feel anything without the world knowing. I can't even have a secret. Oh, and suddenly Meredith understands. Exactly. So, yes, she wants this surgery. No matter what. No matter what, she wants to do it. And if I could do something that wasn't constant lotions and no red wine, I would do that to get rid of my rosacea. Because kids are, kids are cruel. She must have had a very bad time in primary school. Oh, a horrible time. A horrible time. And she's only 23, so it's like, you know, it's old enough to really make this decision and understand, and it's also young enough that she has so much of her life ahead of her. I think one of the hardest bits about this condition is the fact that knowing you have this condition means that if you know something is going to be slightly embarrassing, you're probably going to blush anyway. So it's just a never ending cycle. Oh, yeah, totally. And I feel like that would something like anxiety, you know, like you can get anxious about knowing you're going to get anxious. And then when you're having a panic attack or an anxiety attack, you're anxious about how long it's going to last, how long it's going to last. And that just cycles it out. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if you had a, a visible physical reaction that obtuse to your mental health issues? Like, imagine if all depressed people, when they were having a really bad day, their hair turned green. Totally. Uh-oh. I'm having so much sympathy for this poor girl. It, would not, it wouldn't even just be like your hair turning green and it, people not knowing. It's like the symptom clearly explains exactly how you're feeling it's like your hair turns green but the whole world understands that hair turning green is a symptom of your feelings like imagine working in a service industry on a green hair day and literally having everyone ask you but are you okay are you okay are you okay but imagine if it happened to everyone and then everyone's hair was just green all the time now i mean like in the world that we're living in i feel like everyone would just have green hair kelly is the crux of what this episode is about she is the most obvious view of control, but her storyline wraps up pretty quickly. Um, we do have a really lovely moment during her storyline. So 
Alex and Meredith have scrubbed in and the surgery's going really well. Everything's fine. And when they come out of surgery, Alex says to Meredith, do you mean he, when he says, I think it's nuts that someone would have a major surgery just so people can't tell how you're feeling? This is, that's very telling of the way he goes through life, putting up this, what I called before, a mask, just to shut down anyone so they don't get a glimpse into his vulnerability and into his truth and into how soft he really is on the inside. He just does not want people to see that. So he, you know, he knows how to hide his feelings, not well, because it comes off like such a dick, but you know, he has his own way of doing it. It's like he knows he knows what he's just said at that moment as well. Like he he knows that he's talking to Meredith and he knows that he puts up that barrier. It allows him to just have this moment of realisation and then say to Meredith, you can talk to me if you need to. Yeah, when they come out of surgery, they he he's quite vulnerable when he says that. Mm-hmm. and she says, I'm fine, which is running through this episode. All Meredith says is, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Which is so You've true. said that word so many times today, it doesn't even sound like a word anymore. Just saying, you can talk to me, even if I repeat every word you say, no one around here likes me, they'll just call me a liar and move on. Oh, so beautifully written. And Meredith says, Izzy likes you, and he blushes. It's so good. It's such a real little conversation. It's so good. The word fine is so that people, so many people use that word to mask how they're really feeling to the point where I think collectively, you know, as a, as a people's. If you say fine, word, we know something's we wrong. We know something's wrong. That word is like a very flimsy band-aid on how you're really feeling and everyone can see it. You know, it's like a bright blue band-aid. That is not hiding anything. This conversation starts off kind of cute and kind of funny, but then 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 Meredith gives Alex a little bit of something. And basically Meredith wants her mother to be critically unwell, not in a facetious way, but in a way that if my mother's here because she is very, very unwell, then this pain and suffering and the struggle with Alzheimer's that her mother is going through will be over quicker. Sounds like a shitty thing to say. Sounds like you're basically saying, I wish my mother would have cancer and die. But what they're really hoping is that she's hoping she won't have to be in pain anymore. Yeah, this suffering ends quicker. Watching your someone, watching her, look, I was, I was struggling to say the word someone she loved. I know she does, but it's very complicated. So I'm just going to say watching her own mother deteriorate in this way so excruciatingly slowly would be absolutely unbearable. So it's like hoping that it's cancer is just going to kind of speed the process up and take away this suffering because this is just so hard. I think it's very obviously not a malicious thing for her to say. I think this is very clearly an end of suffering thing. So Ellis has come in to the hospital with this huge, dramatic entrance and Kate Burton, who plays Ellis Gray, is just masterful at this character. Imagine trying to play this, jumping in and out of time and being like speaking on things that aren't actually happening. Sorry, I bumped my microphone. Jumping in and out of time with your acting and, you know, reacting to things that aren't really there. It's She's... She's amazing. What a fucking legend. Well, absolutely. She 
anytime I see her in anything else, I'm like, it's Ellis. Yeah. That's, that's who she is. Yeah. She is Ellis for me. Gosh, she's amazing. She's not even the littlest bit lucid. And unfortunately for George, he apparently looks a fair amount like someone from Meredith's past. Yeah. So Ellis is yelling at George as if George is Thatcher, <laughs> which is Meredith's dad, and who, you know, they are not together anymore. And Ellis just has absolutely no warmth towards Thatch at all. Well, he's trying to do a, a check-in, like take her temperature, hit, listen to her heartbeat. And she thinks George is, um, what was the quote? Uh, I'm not playing doctor with you right now. I know. She thinks George is try- like hitting on her, like it's some fantasy, yeah, <laughs> that they're playing out in the bedroom. But that Brown is not what's happening. <laughs> so he, George is absolutely struggling to get anything done. With Ellis, like, cannot. Oh, and again, like, George is so pathetic. He's so annoying. I I forgot how much he annoyed me, I think. But he goes and gets help from multiple people. So he tries to get help from the chief, which is how he finds out that, yeah, you actually do look a bit like Thatcher. Not only does George ask for help from Weber, but so does Meredith. She, at this point, has no idea about anything to do with the chief and... Her mother, aside from the fact that they were interns together, and her mother seemed as though she was in the middle of her intern year. Residency. Oh, in the middle of her residency, sorry. And asks Weber to go down and check in and see how she is. Yeah, this is a really big thing for Meredith to do because this is the first time she is talking about her mother with someone who actually knows her mother think this is a really big deal and we also realize that the chief doesn't know didn't know ellis's condition either so this is the first time he's hearing about it and i'm a bit disappointed in his reaction honestly but potentially that's only because i'm coming from a place where i know what their relationship was i'm like why isn't he rushing to her why isn't he there why isn't he in the room with her but i guess it is a bit more complicated Because he's scared of what she'll say because she isn't lucid and doesn't – well, actually, we don't know that at this time, do we? We find it out later. You only think it's a bit weird that he doesn't see her, but I'm assuming that he doesn't see her because he doesn't want this woman who thinks that they're still in the middle of an affair to oust them. Yeah, that was what my question was going to be because that's the only thing I could come up with. Is that what you think it is as well? I do because Ellis – so it's secrets again. So it adds more into these la- this layer, him not having control over what Ellis will say. It's him, if he enters that room, oh, how her reaction he will, will be. lose control of keeping this big secret. Mm-hmm. Because Ellis says some horrible stuff to George as Thatcher. And unfortunately, Grey is there to hear it. Devastating. So then we get to George asking Alex for help again. So George has been asking Alex for help with something or other almost every episode. Don't you reckon? He asked. At least he didn't have to take his pants off this time. (laughs) George gives Alex so much shit all the time about how terrible a person he is. He gives easy shit for being his friend. But George has asked Alex for help on so many occasions. Personal and professional. Exactly. So it's like, like, shut up. Alex is great at his job. You keep asking him questions. You're proving that. So stop. He's helping you. Stop. He's helping you again, again and again and again. 
So George goes to Alex and asks for help with Ellis. And then Alex, again, proves how good he is with patients, how he goes the extra mile, how he really cares about them. And he is beautiful with Ellis. Walks in smooth as butter. I wonder if this was all off the cuff or if he planned it because it's seamless. He walks in and says, hi, Dr. Gray. I'm Alec, Dr. Alex Crev. I'll be assisting you in today's surgery. We just need to do a new uh, a pre-surgery checkup on you, you know, hospital policy and all of that shit. He gets on her side instantly. Mm-hmm. He feeds into how she's feeling. He gives her the respect of being Ellis Gray, Dr. Ellis Gray. He talks about her surgeries and how you know, he's familiar with the Grey Method and he's watched footage. He plays into her life and exactly where she is in her brain at that moment, which lets him get close to her and do what needs to be done. So George has been kind of trying to fix her this whole time, trying to be like, I'm not Thatcher, I'm just a doctor, and kind of going against what she's been feeling. And Alex just lets her be and adjusts himself to what she needs in that moment, which George just can't do. Alex's ability to work with his patients and work with what they need is unmatched with most of our other interns, and he just does not get the recognition. Absolutely. If anything, he gets scolded for it and told to be different, and when he tried to, he got kicked off a case because he acted like Christina. Yeah. So because we think that Ellis Gray might have cancer. She needs a biopsy done, and this can only be done by a surgeon. So even though it's a really simple procedure, it can be done in her hospital bed. She doesn't need to go under or anything. It has to be done by a surgeon, and the chief doesn't want anyone else to do it. And interrupts Derek's surgery to yell at him to do a fucking biopsy, which we all know the interns can do. After, you know, not wanting to go see her. So after the chief realises that George is being told that he's Thatcher, the chief kind of does want to step up and help and get in there. But he's not allowed to perform any surgeries still because he, what, had brain surgery a week ago? Yeah, you're not allowed to perform surgeries. Come on. He wants this, you know, sign off that he's allowed to do surgery again, which Derek doesn't give him. So props to Derek doing the right thing. And then Weber does something really weird. I think it's weird. So we just figure out that Weber's really scared of what Ellis might say and losing control. I mean, they don't tell us this, but this is kind of what we figure out by watching this episode. So then the person he makes do this surgical procedure, this draw on Ellis, is Burke. Because the, well, what I read in this is that the chief knows that Burke looks like a younger version of Chief Webber. And he does when we see the younger version later. So Webber sends in Burke and instantly Ellis calls him Richard. So what I find so weird about this, if Webber is so set on protecting his secret, why send in someone else who might potentially get that information? Like why send in Burke? I know he can't do it himself, but like if, if Ellis was to say something. Hold on. Do you know why you send in Burke? Why? Because what we know about Ellis Gray and Dr. Weber is that they're both incredibly private, secretive people. And we know that Ellis currently thinks it's, what, 1960, 1970? Still wasn't that cute for a black and white couple or an interracial couple to be together. And Ellis thinks she's at work. She would not 
his assumption would be is that she's not going to oust their relationship because she thinks she's at work. I think if anything, if it's going to be anything, it might be because Weber might know at this point that Burke is sleeping with Christina. So he could like use it as, if Ellis said anything, he could use that as blackmail. Is that wrong? Maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's wrong too. Maybe we just put it down to the fact that he's a bit of a coward and didn't want to confront the fact that the woman he was in love with for the last 40 years is terminally ill. He's probably just scared. He hasn't seen her in a long time in the first time he sees her. But he did want to do it. He did want to do it. He did want to go in. He was trying to get Derek to sign off so he could be the one to do it. But he can't, so he got someone that looked like him. Maybe he was just worried that she'd mock his hat as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be pretty worried at this point. I really want to understand this bit because this is the bit that I I think for storytelling purposes and for the show – it makes sense and it's it's a really cute scene where she gets all finally Ellis is calm because she's in the hands of Richard and we can kind of see how she feels towards him. But what's confusing is that Chief goes from not wanting to see her, being a bit fearful of seeing her, then really wanting to see her, kind of trying to do everything he can to be the person to go in and then, and then send in someone to make her her think it's him which means she might spill her secrets i just feel like we don't get enough or or he just grabbed burke because i think he just actually i think he just grabbed burke because everyone else was busy everyone else who he was friends with and trusts in the hospital was busy Uh, yeah yeah but that's on her i think weber just grabbed him because he was the first person who he trusted who was available You don't think it's any deeper than that? No. But Richard grabs Burke and is so firm and says, like, you have to do this for me. Maybe it's just because he's someone that the chief trusts. Could be a trust. It could, yeah, it could be a trust thing, definitely. Miranda is already occupied. So is Derek. So is Addison. This is such a conundrum. Because it feels like such a deliberate thing. And yes, it could be it could be a trust thing, definitely, because we know how much he trusts. Yeah, it might be a trust thing. It might be a trust thing. I think it's deliberate by the writers, but by these characters, I don't think it's a deliberate forethought. And this is why Meredith was saying before that she wished it was cancer, because if this biopsy comes back and she has cancer... She'll only have a few months left and she will be full of morphine and happy thoughts the entire time. If she doesn't have cancer, then unfortunately she's destined to live a longer life in a manner which her mother desperately didn't want. She said numerous times that the the one thing her mother didn't want was to suffer from Alzheimer's. I don't think anyone would want to suffer Alzheimer's, honestly. Although potentially being the one suffering Alzheimer's is a lot easier than being the loved ones caring for the person who is suffering Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Burke, Burke has been, Burke has just finished his surgery and this is the surgery that Christina was in on. So this is the surgery for our 
patient Mr. Gaston. He's a dry cleaner who makes a little quip about the fact that they tell you not to inhale the chemicals. <laughs> so he has a tumor in his lungs and needs a thoracotomy. Um, and Yang appears to not. I thought. I thought Gaston was a hunter who was in love with Belle. I keep trying to not say Gaston. <laughs> no one. Fights like Gaston. No one eats like Gaston. I don't know the words. No one something like Gaston. No one drinks and takes women to bed like Gaston. I don't know. But so that's what we get from him. And then he's asleep on the table. Surgery is going ahead. And Yang appears to be having a pretty rough day. She's not feeling too good. And we thought that was just from the run. Um, So she gets to the surgery and is late, which is not very Yang at all. Burke's quizzing her and asking her questions, and then she she drops. She's down. Lucky for Christina, you've got Izzy and Bailey up in the gallery watching down on this surgery because Izzy's just wandered in to find Bailey and ask for a new assignment because the preemie case they're not going to operate on. And Bailey's in a bit of a mood. In a bit of a mood. And she says, if you don't have a mocha latte, then go away. <laughs> and... This is another bit where we get to see Bailey's feelings and see Bailey, you know, really caring about her interns because Bailey asks, did you know about Meredith's mum? Did you know about Izzy? And Bailey's body language is very flat. She's slumped over in a chair. She's, yeah. it looks like she's just This is the first time that Bailey asks for gossip. She's doing doodling on a pad. She seems a bit out of it and exhausted. And Izzy just says, like, you think you know someone, you think you know who they are, you share a house with them. And we get this insight into Izzy again, which we've seen a couple of times about how kind of lonely she is, because even though she has this group of friends, she doesn't feel like she's best friends like Christina and Meredith. She doesn't feel like she's, you know, super close with George yet. She she has this flirtation with Alex, but he's kind of not part of the group. It's like she does feel a little bit of an outsider. She doesn't have her person. Exactly. And I think it's because the other two girls are so close, she feels quite excluded by them. It's sad. Um, which she she does say a little bit later, and I, I get that. That's that's always a shitty spot to be in. Um, but as they're having this really cute chat, that's when Christina drops. And lucky they're there because they just rush into this surgery. Burke is letting himself away a little bit because he's looking very, very upset about Christina. Yeah, but there is nothing he can do. He is still holding a scalpel. He is still hands deep in a body. So he kind of has to leave it to everyone else that's in the room and Izzy and Bailey, who are very luckily rushed in there very quickly. Sometimes it takes people a very long time to get from the gallery into the room. And sometimes... They are automatically there. So I don't know. And sometimes they just appear. What kind of, you know, magical stairwell that changes size or changes direction, some Harry Potter staircase we have going on back there. But as they're rushing Christina away on a gurney, Christina pulls Izzy in and says, I'm seven weeks pregnant, Izzy. And a part of me is like, oh, that must be nice for Izzy to feel like she's the one who gets this secret first. But then Izzy's face is shattered, like she is so distraught that she couldn't have been a better friend. Because, you know, Izzy would have been really helpful with that information. She would have been helping Christina in any possible way she can. And she's kind of lost lost the ability to help. But Izzy also overreacts and gets very emotional mm, very quickly. Um, case in fucking point. 
where we're getting another tally on the Izzy is a shit friend slash housemate, Bailey says to Izzy, you need to go get Addison Montgomery and you need to be very discreet about it. So the fuck, the fuck does Izzy do? The staircase in the main foyer comes walking down. Well, she had to get, what was she going to do? Just grab Addison and she had to get Addison. Correct. But when she's walking down the stairs with Dr. Weber, Addison, and who else is she coming down? George. There's, George is And there. George. And George. She could have just said, um, there's an emergency, Addison. Could I please borrow you for a moment? That's it. That's true. Instead, she just blurts out, Christine is pregnant in front of the chief. No, she doesn't. She says, Addison, I need you. It's an emergency. And then Addison is kind of like, uh, I'm I'm leaving, I'm getting out of here. And then she says, it's one of our interns, we really need you. And Chief and George look at her, like pressing her for information. And she's like, Christina had a fall. And then George says, why do you need Addison? <gasps> Christina's pregnant. There's nothing discreet about this. George lets it slip. There's nothing discreet about she this. She doesn't yell at Christina's pregnant in the stairwell. I'm sticking up for Izzy. I feel like I would have done the exact same thing. I'm accepting the fact I'm more of an Izzy than I am a Christina. <laughs> I always knew I wasn't a Christina. Whereas I'm just straight up Bailey and there's no two ways around it. You really are a Bailey. I actually... If- <laughs> it's when you said that Bailey was smart, sassy, very strict, but was starting to show signs of mother hen. I didn't give myself the nickname of mum at work. Oh, I love that. But we're seeing that from Bailey because Addison jumps in, they... They do an ultrasound and they realize that she has an eptopic pregnancy, which is basically where the baby is developing in the fallopian tube rather than in the womb. So Addison has to take it out and Bailey's standing on a little step stool at the end of the table, her hands on either side of Mer- of Christina's head. And Addison says, Bailey, you can, you can go. That moment where she touches Christina's head like it's so precious, gets me every time. That's where I started crying this episode. Yeah, me too. She just said, I'm exactly where I need to be. The only reason that she steps away from holding Christina's head is to completely and utterly stop Meredith walking in that room. Mm. Big, hard day for Meredith. Big day for Meredith. And we get a great Bailey line. Because Meredith's like, this is my best friend. I need to be in here. And Meredith's like, no, no, no. This is your friend. That's why you can't come in here. And Gray's like, I will get past you, Bailey. (laughs) And Bailey's just like, you can try, but I'm going to have to take you down. Yeah. And she's like, I may be little or like, I may be short, but you're pretty little. I can do it. (laughs) I can take you down. (laughs) So funny. So part of her reasoning for not letting Meredith in the room is that she says, your friend is naked, she's exposed, she's sedated, and she's probably scared out of her mind. And Bailey's just like, I'm going to give her all the privacy I can. And the second she says that, I'm like, well, fucking Izzy isn't. Stop up with the Izzy bashing. I really like Izzy. Izzy's great. And Izzy's in there, yes, because Izzy's not her best friend, which is sad. They should all be best friends. But So Bailey gets MVP for that moment. Bailey gets my MVP. So after Burke's surgery, that's when he is kind of rushing to go and see Christina and that's when he gets told to go and do this thing with 
So after Burke finishes his surgery, it all went well, it's fine. He's kind of rushing to go and check on Christina and that's when he gets intercepted by the chief. And right before he has to go and see Ellis, Burke reads the surgical board and sees Christina's name up there and sees that it says ectopic, sees that it says pregnancy. (laughs) And you can- Ectopic. Thank you. And you can see him break. Mm-hmm. It's like that meme, um, that Simpsons meme, where Bart's like has the remote and says, "Right here, you can see," and like pauses it and says, "You can see his heartbreaking." Oh, when his heart breaks, I choo choo choose you. Um, well, Christina had decided this morning that she was going to tell Burke today. This is not the way you want to find out. No, just written there on a whiteboard when the rest of the, the rest of your workplace can also read it. I mean. You know, no one really knows it's not many people know that it's Burke, but it he's crushed and absolutely devastated. And you can see that he still really loves her. It's like the reason why he ended it with her. Because she didn't want to commit the way that he wanted to. And I think he saw the baby as a commitment, a way to keep her. Yeah. That's a bit yuck, isn't it? Mm. I guess he... It's exactly what he does, though. And he has no idea that she was planning on not keeping it, so... No. Well, Derek comes to a revelation as well because he keeps trying to talk to Meredith in boyfriend energy. Yeah, definitely. And she calls him out again because right when she's coming out of uh, the surgery, she finds out that Christina's Mm -hmm. dropped and gone under. So she's obviously very upset. And Derek says Meredith, oh, no, says Dr. Gray in front of Alex. And Meredith is just like, can you just stop fucking talking to me? You're trying to hide and make believe like we didn't happen. Everyone at this hospital knows that we were together and what you did to me. Alex knows, do you give a shit? And he's like, no, I don't care. <laughs> just fucks off. And I think, yeah, this scene's great. She really gets to dress him down. Tells him to shut up, you know. And he finally gets it. Yeah. Yeah. So Derek runs off to the NICU and the baby has made it through the day, which has kind of given Addison some hope that they might be able to save it. And Derek has had a little bit of a change of heart on this as well, which is really kind of gross because it's like, well, he goes off to Meredith. Meredith doesn't want him. So he's going back to Addison. That's how it feels. And it feels a bit yuck. Well, one of the ridiculously hot women that wants to sleep with me doesn't want to sleep with me anymore. Dude, she never wanted to sleep with you. My God. Boundaries. And these two have good chemistry. Yeah, these two are really great together. Their bickering and fighting energy is really good and then their, like, sexual, tension-y, kissy energy is really good too. And she she really feels like the metaphor is coming true that he's willing to give this baby another chance, which means he's willing to give them another chance. She's putting her feelings out there with this kiss. She's letting him know that she's ready for them to be back together. And it does feel like a very familiar kiss. Like, you know, I don't know how they do that, but it really feels like they have done this a million times. They really feel like a couple, a married couple. It's not a first kiss. It's a it's it's not a small kiss. Yeah. It's 
like he's sitting down in a rocking chair, so like he could easily rock back and then come and break her nose if he wanted to. But it's not just like a little peck or anything. It is a it is a fucking smooch. So this is where we kind of wrap everything up. Christina is recovering and all of the interns have a little moment kind of together. Izzy and Meredith have a cute conversation. Izzy says, like, I know you guys hate him. I know you guys hate him. She says, we do hate him, but I just want to say that I believe you. That is different once you get to know him, which is really, which is really nice because they had such a cute chat. So Alex's facade is really cracking. Yeah, Izzy also calls Meredith out and says, you know, I, I feel like I'm on the outside of the two of you all the time and it's it's getting pretty lonely because not only has she found out that everyone else knew about Christina and Burke, everyone knew about her and Derek first, everyone or well, other people knew about Christina's pregnancy first. So, yeah, I'd feel very on the outside if I was her. Yeah, definitely. I she, She's so justified in feeling that, especially when it's really just the five of them. You know, like these are kind of the few people they see every day. So right after this little chat, Meredith gets the results of her mum's biopsy and she doesn't have cancer. And Izzy asks, how are you? And Meredith, Izzy asks, are you okay? Izzy asks, are you okay? And Meredith, for the first time, this episode admits to her feelings and says, no, I am not okay, as she walks away. And that's really big. That's not her saying fine and shutting it down. That's not her trying to distract herself from anything. That's her completely admitting her feelings. And then she goes outside and lets herself feel. She's asked to be left alone, specifically by you. He keeps getting on her when she's vulnerable. That's when he attacks. She's asked to be left alone so many times. She has said where she stands with him. And she is breaking down outside and Derek comes out and then she really tells him, she says, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted about Christina. I'm exhausted about my mum. And and she says, the most exhausting is hating you. Hating you is exhausting. And then she kisses him and says she doesn't want to hate him anymore. And it would be exhausting because he doesn't let her go. (laughs) He's constantly there. How exhausting. We wrap up on Ellis Gray with George. He goes into Ellis's room. He has a bit of a go at her. He says, I don't like the way you treat me. I don't like the way you treat Meredith. Yeah, Meredith is incredible and the way you treat her and the way you treat me is completely unacceptable. And Ellis respects him for that and apologizes and asks him to come have some snugs. Yeah, which I find really uncomfortable, actually. If George ever thought anything was going to happen with Meredith, this is him... Digging his own grave. No, I think that this is him showing, doing something that would make him obviously quite uncomfortable to show the ultimate kindness to her mother, which is what Alex was doing. And I, I thought it was a really, really kind. It is a, it is an ultimate kindness. I do understand where you're getting from, but I just think it just sits uncomfortably with me, even though I do understand intellectually that it is really kind. It's uncomfortable because he looks deeply uncomfortable. And if anyone walked in, the boy would be in some trouble. But the episode ends off with Christina in her hospital bed, Burke watching from the outside because she's surrounded by all of her friends. And in this moment, Meredith decides to hand Alex an olive branch 
and invite him to come around and watch her mother's tapes sometime to show that they are becoming a cute little bubble. We do also need to mention that Burke goes and sees his patient that he's operated on after this moment, and this is when we realise this patient really, really means nothing except is the, you know, conduit for Burke's feelings. (laughs) And Burke, and he says, you quite literally had a broken heart. And Isaiah Washington, look, as much as I have problems with him as a person and some of the things that he's done, which we've discussed, he is a brilliant actor. And in this moment, you really see how shattered and how broken he is. I have absolutely no sympathy for him whatsoever. And I didn't know a lot of the stuff about him as a person. Him as Burke, I was like, eh, it's a bit thick. So that is what should have been the season finale. And it was a brilliant episodes one of the best episodes in Grey's Anatomy's history I'm gonna go ahead and say it really pulls on the heartstrings mm-hmm. really made me feel all of the feelings there was um, a great episode only one downside downside to this episode we did have a lot of surgery we had no bokey oh yeah this is one of the like 30 episodes that she's not in I feel like we haven't not seen her yet well whoo Big episode, emotional episode, great episode. Hope you're all staying safe. There is a lot of COVID outside, so keep in your bubbles, keep taking tests, drink lots of water, stay hydrated, and hopefully everyone will be good. No. And hopefully everyone gets through. No, that's really morbid. I hope this PSA (laughs) has been more fun than your government's daily ones. Um, But on that note, we love you all. Thank you so much for listening and vagina. (laughs) Bye. That was so fun. Okay. I think it got cute in the end. Vagina. Sing it.